Welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I am great today. It's potpourri. <laughs> Why is it potpourri? Potpourri. We are going to have numerous different things we're going to talk about. Not like one thing. But a potpourri of things. So is it? I, I mean, don't even know what potpourri means. Well, is it going to smell good? That's the question. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope we're not on the plane the way that lady was on the plane, and they had a bio issue and had to land the plane. Did you hear about that? I don't know. Wait, hold on a minute. Welcome in, everybody. <laughs> we have to rewind now. Is there a, a rewind button to get us back? Wait, a bio problem with a woman on a plane? What are you talking about? Well, uh, you're talking about smell. Potpourri, well, potpourri doesn't smell good. I, my, my, I am telling you that just a couple of days ago, they had to reroute a plane because <laughs> a lady had a problem in the bathroom, <laughs> and it went completely all over the plane. Stop. I am not kidding you. Are you serious? I am 100% serious. And I'm telling you that the pilot of the plane said it was so bad, he called it a bio... Um, hazard? A biohazard, <laughs> and they needed to land the plane. Uh, you know, here's the deal. So potpourri, I hope it they, smells they, good. I, they needed a lot of potpourri <laughs> oh, on that plane. That, Chris, I, from the time I was in eighth grade on a bus that was a Greyhound bus... Going down from Cleveland to Cincinnati. Going down. That's what this I, podcast is doing. I, going down. <laughs> I learned. I always carried double mint gum with me because I sat by the bathroom. Aye. And I put the double mint gum in my hand and I sat like this because every single time somebody came out of opened that door. Oh, I wish I had potpourri. Steve, uh, let, let's just go back to this poor woman because forget about. I wasn't, Aye, this, I, I, I I wasn't even, even on the plane. I don't care. I look at that woman and I say, I am so sad for her. Oh, she didn't ask for no, any of this. No, she did not. And either did the passengers. Either did the passengers. <laughs> but it, she's the one associated I with it. I know the poor thing had issues that it went even outside of the aye, bathroom. Aye, I can't aye, even imagine. Aye. Let's stop. I'm going to gag. Let's move aye, aye, aye. on. Oh, yeah, Live and be punch them all. Yeah, punch them all. All right. Well, we have a special guest with us today. <laughs> oh, do we have a special? <laughs> on that, on that note, <laughs> on potpourri smelling good. We had her boss on uh, last week. Yes. That's right. And well, last, no, two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Unless, safe? unless Fran. The Flanagan is oh, her boss. Th that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. It was two weeks. You're ago. just inviting people all over the place. I, you can't even keep I track. Could, I've actually invited our guest, who is let's introduce her now, Roxanne Lightfoot. Yes. Hello, Roxanne. How are you? How do y'all? Good to see you. <laughs> Look at her say you all. I know that's her Texan coming yeah. out. Yes. <laughs> I was uh, I grew up in South Texas, and so and it's funny because I don't really have a Southern accent. It's because I'm an Army brat, but uh, so they say that accents don't really come in until you hit like San Antonio and North, and you get that the Southern drawl. Even uh, but it's you true. are you are a person who has traveled all over. You really don't have a. I mean, Texas is your home. You're mm -hmm. now living in New Jersey, but. And first, let's go to Lightfoot. Let's go to, you're married to David Lightfoot. Yes. And so I asked before we came on, you must have a story about the name. So tell us, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the name you married into. I know it's a, you know, my last name was Villarreal prior to that. And so it's much Wait, easier. Wait, say that slower. Hold on. Say it slower. Villarreal. Via Real. Via Real. Okay, that's the. <laughs> but that's the. That's the. You gotta you roll your via, R's. Okay, let me try. Via Real. Beautiful. Via Real. Do you know I've known you for so many years, and I know that you was your maiden name, but I could never pronounce it, so I ran away from it as much as possible. But it's Via Real. Via Real. Yes. And okay. then, but being in the military, they can't say Via Real, so they say Villa Real. Villa. Villa Real. <laughs> I like that. that uh, that's great. And if you're in Spain, it's Bijarreal. Wow. So Where did the B come from? I don't know. Oh, the V and the B. B That's always, those are exchangeable mm -hmm. letters occasionally. And it's so. interesting because we, were, my husband and I, we went to Spain. We've been there several times. And um, there's a town called Bijarreal, and it means royal village. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Now, wait, wait, I know that when, because when I, I've known you since 2000. <laughs> 
almost 24 years. I can't believe it. Uh, it's crazy. And um, <laughs> you were just a kid when I met I know. You. And now look, I've got a beard. It's the thing's crazy. So anyway, when we knew each other, though, you were Villarreal. Yes. But then in 2004, I remember I went on my very first trip to Israel with the Friends of Israel through our program that was once called the Institute of Jewish Studies, which you were a part of. Yeah. And maybe we can talk more about that in a moment. Hey, she ran that thing. I know <laughs> she Even did. though she, she was the unofficial official running that. I was uh, exactly. assistant. I was there to... Uh, yeah, but you made all the pieces work together, though. You put them all together. But uh, all that to say, I remember meeting David Lightfoot for the first... I don't think you were married at that no, point. No, he was rooming with a, another friend, Nate Graves. Nate, that's right. <laughs> and we all went over, and I went over with your boys, actually, Sam and John, mm-hmm. and Joanne. Anna was on that trip as well. And we all had a great time in 2004. That was my very first trip to Israel. Yes. And that's when I came back from that trip, I said, I have to do that a thousand times. It was great. Mm-hmm. And But you've already done that several. You've been to Israel a bunch of times. 17 times. times. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So tell me, uh, you you are a graduate of the Institute of... Jew, Jewish Studies. Jewish Studies. Yeah, because we had just merged the year that I was at IJS. Um, Will Varner with the had Institute of Biblical, Biblical Studies. Studies merged with... Philadelphia Biblical University, and that mm-hmm. became Institute of Jewish Studies in 1996. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. that this was really important because uh, for our listeners who don't know, and maybe some new listeners, the Friends of Israel's uh, in, in the past, one of our feeder programs, the way we trained people to get involved in Jewish ministry was through the Institute of Jewish Studies, which before that was the Institute of Biblical Studies. And people would come from all over the place to get trained. All over trained. the world. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you were a part of that, but then you you refused to leave <laughs> in a good way. I, I got adopted by you Dr. Got, Hurt. <laughs> that's right. Talk about your experience serving uh, Friends of Israel through the Institute of Jewish Studies. You started that in what, ni- I guess 1997? 96. So I actually had to wait a year to come. Uh, I had spent a summer in Russia um, before I, I heard about Friends of Israel. And it was interesting because I was in Russia with a teammate and she lived um, here in Jersey. And I, I was sharing with her that I just have always had a heart for Jewish people in Israel, and which started when I was 15. But I just didn't knew I didn't know there was a school to train missionaries. And um, and so my brother, who's a missionary in Mexico, went to a it's called the Real Grand Bible Institute in Edinburgh, Texas. Mm. And so they did everything in Hebrew. And now he's he's been a missionary in Mexico for about 30 years now. And when I told her about that, I said I just wish there were a school to help train me. And she says, there is. It's called the Friends of Israel Institute of Biblical Studies. I drive by the campus all the time. And so when I got back to the States, she sent me a packet of information um, from, from you guys. Really? And I, I, I opened it up and I said, oh, like the Shekinah was there. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, it, everything just fell into place. And so uh, Will Varner. Uh, gave me, I, I filled out. Will Varner called me, and um, Will Varner, who uh, is mm-hmm. still teaching at Masters mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I saw he posted on Facebook the other day. I'm in my seventieth. Uh, yeah. He, I, what is he? Seventieth uh, year of being in school. Yeah, he's like I'm a seventieth year student. You <laughs> yeah, know, I'm in seventieth grade. Seventieth grade. That was what it was. Still <laughs> teaching away at Masters. And so he interviewed me for uh, to come to the school, and he says, "But unfortunately, we're starting, so you have to wait till next year." Which worked out perfectly because I um, I was able to you know work three or four jobs to save up money for the school, and I got a car and I drove up here um, that following fall in August, and that's when I met. Everybody at IJS, I met Dr. Hurt, Bill Cruson, Mitch Treisman, you, Alice, and everybody that year. That's so. amazing. You know, that year, I, I'm sure, I, I know it impacted you because yeah. you became a part of the family of the Friends of Israel after that. You know, people would come in and get trained, and then they'd get sent out, and God mm-hmm. would call them uh, to do various things. Some would go into secular work. Mm-hmm. Some would go do ministry in other places. I, I was at church a couple years ago, and um, a lady got up and spoke about her ministry of pop. New Guinea. And then somebody came up to me and said, oh, you know, she did the Institute of Jewish Studies, and or it was IBS, IBS I, yeah, okay. Institute of Biblical Studies. And I thought, wow, that's amazing that somebody mm-hmm. that was trained by the Friends of Israel is doing ministry in Papua New Guinea. Um, and then we have we have workers here at the Friends of Israel who have all grad, a lot who have graduated from the Institute of Jewish Studies. It has had a, for the time that it ran in person, it had a profound impact on ministry well, globally. No, no question. And Chris, if you think about it, Institute of Jewish Studies. If you're really going to get a handle of the Bible, don't you think you ought to know about <laughs> the people of the Bible? And you could go to, I would say, you go to Papua New Guinea, you learn you learn the language, you talk to them, you say, hey, 
I, I learned about the people in this book. I've, I've actually met some. And that would give you some swag. That's right. So, yeah, that's it. Chutzpah. Chutzpah, that's right. Hey, how do you, Papua New, how did you say that? Papua New Guinea. But you said it really, you Papua, had a. Papua what, New Guinea. What did you say? How did you I, say? I don't know. What you just it? had a nice little like a Papua New Papua. Guinea. Papua New Guinea. <laughs> that's that's Italian. Italian. <laughs> I like the way you said it. Mine's just like Papua New Guinea. You're you got a little flair in there. Like you've been there a bunch of times. <laughs> Not at all. But I still want to get to Lightfoot. Oh, okay. So, oh, okay. Sorry, I'm I'm taking no, this way No, we want to know about Roxanne. But Lightfoot, tell us, Dave. You met you met obviously you be. You fell in love and all all that yeah. very important stuff, but come on, Lightfoot's an interesting name. There was a singer was like, what did, what do people say? So we always get this: Are you Native American? And, oh. and, and like I wish you have any scholarships. Like I know, hundred percent. That's right. So no, so uh, Lightfoot goes back to the theologian Lightfoot. Oh, okay. Oh, he's related to. I believe so. Wow. Yeah, goes back to him. And uh, it's British. It's actually British. All right. And so. Uh, so and no, you're not. Re- he's not related to. To Gordon. Uh, no, not to so. Gordon. No. But he has been stopped by a policeman who said. Lightfoot, more like heavy foot. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, a good officer. one. That's a, at least the cop had a good good sense of humor. Oh, yeah. that's great. Uh, so, you, you know, I'm. You met David. What was it like when he went on that first Israel trip? Was oh, that, that fun for you? That was. Were you guys serious at that point already? Well, uh, yeah. So yeah, we had decided that we were going to date, but um, he had to come to Israel. You know, I that's that's part of the <laughs> that's check, the checklist. Check, you got to check that right. one off. And so here's the thing: David is a mathematician. He is truly a polymath, and uh, he had only heard of all of the the things that have happened in Israel, all the negative things that have happened, you know, and so, but as a mathematician, he did a statistical review of the chances of him getting, you know, (laughs) hurt in Israel. And he says, well, I'm more likely to get struck by lightning or win the lottery. So I'll go to Israel with you. Oh, nice. (laughs) Way to do math to solve that. I like that. And so we just had such a fantastic time and we really just got to know each other better on that trip. And I got to see his heart change. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the most and and after we got back from Israel, um, we did a Passover Seder for IJS, and Mitch Treisman did that Seder, and all of the knowledge that he learned from the Passover Seder just really ch- changed his heart mm. and really made him like this is this stuff is really interesting, you know, especially from a biblical perspective, which he um, was growing in the Lord at that time as well. Well, you know, you and I and David had a reunion in March because we all went back to Israel again, <laughs> which was awesome. And you had some more family members there. Um, yeah. um, um, you, after so many years of serving with Friends of Israel through the Institute of Jewish Studies, eventually the doors closed on the Institute of Jewish Studies. Yeah. And um, and so the, you moved away. You and David sailed off into the sunset yeah. together. <laughs> so and went, long. Yeah, and you went Thanks very... Thanks the fish. <laughs> that's right. See you later. <laughs> Sayonara. Uh, but then all of a sudden, God brought you back to the Friends of Israel. Share about that. Ten years later. Uh, so David... Uh, so after I left Friends of Israel, IJS... Um, I thought, well, what am I going to do? So we do have a family business. So I thought, okay, I'll help with the family business. And so I did that for a while, did a lot of traveling with the family business. And um, at that same time, um, David had um, gotten a job offer in Baltimore to Mm. be the head of a school for a school with uh, kids with learning differences, learning disabilities. Um, And so... Yeah, put the mic near you. There you go. Okay. Kiss the mic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and so he uh he he got the he's the, the new headmaster at this school in Baltimore and it really um was along that lines that from then on so we went to Baltimore where he was the headmaster there for a few years and then from Baltimore we moved to Massachusetts where he's the headmaster of another school with for children with learning differences and then from there um the lord just put it on his heart he's like I just want to work for a school um that has that I can share my faith and so he became the headmaster of a small Christian school in South Berwick, in Maine. And uh, it's called the Seacoast Christian School. And it was it was a very small Christian school. And so we moved up to Maine. <laughs> and so we're like moving all the way up. And I was working for Child Evangelism Fellowship at the time. And I was sitting in my office and I was looking through Israel, my, my, my glory. As, you know, we, I, was, I always brought it to work. And I saw... Oh, there's Steve Herzig. There's Tom Simcox. There all these familiar faces, and 
And um, I decided to go online and just surf. I was I was I had just joined LinkedIn, and I saw that you guys posted uh, that there was a job opening for a gym's assistant. And I jokingly said, I would move back to Jersey for this job, JK. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jersey, it's Jersey. <laughs> From Maine to Jersey. 100%. And so um, I, I just kind of brushed it off for a while. And I, um, I came back to the office one day and I said, I wonder if that job is still open. And so I texted Tom Simcox. And I said, Tom, do they have somebody in mind? Is, are you looking in-house? Um, do you know? And, and uh, Tom said, Roxanne, send your resume in. Now it's time for you to come home. Mm. And I started to cry. Uh. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Let, let me pray about it. So I sent my resume in. A few days later, Jim called me. A few days later, he blew me up here for the interview. And that's when I saw you guys. That was amazing. <laughs> I was so surprised to yeah. see you. It was amazing. It was a reunion. And I think Jim saw that. And so you guys have known me forever. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to do laundry at your house, Steve. And <laughs> everybody a lot did, of people did laundry, at, did laundry at Steve's house. Poor college students. You guys took such good care of us. <laughs> and then, you know, I still remember Chris, the first day of IJS, Chris, we're sitting in a circle and everyone sharing their experience of how they got to IJS. Can I share the story? Go ahead. Okay. So we had this very unique student come in, an older gentleman named Joe Ramos. I don't know if I should say that. Um, Well, you already said it. There you go. Can't erase it. Delete. But uh, nobody knows him. But um, he said, I left like a $40,000 job a year to come to this program, to this IJS. And um, I'm looking forward to it. And Chris came up. I left like a ten dollar job to IJS, and he's like, "No big loss, but I'm here." I'm here. <laughs> it's true. I was living at home. I was 18 years old. Yeah. It was just I just lost it. I laughed, but um, it was always I got to meet so many students. Yeah, and even though I wasn't able to go into the mission field. I felt like the Lord was using me to minister to the students so mm. that they can go to the mission field. Yeah. And they went everywhere. everywhere. Really, that was a launching pad for a lot of different A hundred percent. You know, uh, I just want to let our listeners, uh, remind our listeners that uh, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. And in some quasi way, FOI Equip has become kind of the Institute of Jewish Studies, but in component parts. So in the past where you'd come to, you know, you'd be housed at a college and you'd get training for nine months in, and, uh, you know, receive credits and you'd do ministry and you'd learn the scriptures, uh, you'd get hands-on experience, you'd get um, biblical education through college credit, all that stuff, you know, with IJS. And you'd have to pay... Oh, mucho... Mucho dinero, right? That's right, mucho... It was was not that bad. No. You had to pay. You had to pay. You had to pay. I'm still paying off my college. No, I'm joking. (laughs) 40 years later. But I am saying um, the FOI Equip has kind of become... A com- the, the components of IJS, it's not the full thing, but, you know, if you want experience interacting with the Jewish community, you can go on Encounter. If you want training in Jewish ministry, you can go to Bridges. If you want to learn more about the Bible from a Jewish perspective, bada bing, bada boom, you can listen to the Jew and Gentile podcast, or you can go to our FOI Equip classes. If you want to go to Israel and serve and learn more, you can go on Origins or Hesed. So we have all of these component parts that are making up the, what, what it's not IJS, but it's kind of a, 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 the, a quasi. It's a potpourri. It's a yeah, potpourri. It's it's a, IJS on like 2.0. It's, yeah, it's, that's right. That's right. We owe it to COVID. We've talked about it here yeah. on, on the podcast, uh, how things had to change. And so I think it's better. Uh, it's so it was much. always good, but it's because first of all, uh, Equip is free. Uh, it's free. It's free. It's free, 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 That's right. as we like to say. If you want to take out a loan, take out a loan. It's cost you nothing. <laughs> That's right. It's free. And in fact, next week, I'm on. That's exactly right. That's what I was trying to get at is that with FOI Equip, we're going to be able to do some great teaching. And one of the, you know, if we're learning the Bible from a Jewish perspective, we have to talk about the fall feasts of Israel. And that's why mm-hmm. Steve's going to be doing starting September 14th, Thursday, 7.30 p.m. You can go to foiequip.org right now and register. And Steve, you're going to be talking about three very important fall I, holidays. I'm planning on doing that. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. That's exactly right. And we're going to have, it's an opportunity opportunity for students if you want people who come i don't even like to use the word students but uh we w- we want to invite you to come and we offer i we have a time of uh of discussion 
Uh, there'll be opportunities for questions. We'll go over what Jewish people will be doing over these next three feasts. Very important. God put them in Leviticus. We've covered in the podcast. We went through, how many weeks did it take us to go through? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the, <laughs> the first 50 episodes, I think, were dedicated to, <laughs> to the book of Leviticus. We haven't gone back to like a, a book like that in a while. But I, I, I want to bring that up in a moment, but I'll let you finish. So, no, we, we're going to do, uh, for, it's from Leviticus 23, but it's the last three feasts. And uh, I, I think it's going to be great. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome. Hey, you know, we have a text line, 424-444-1948. If you're listening live, you can text us. If you're going to be listening later on, you can still text us, 424-444-1948. Steve, I got a text message from area code 210 that says this, this podcast has blessed my husband and I immensely, especially the Yiddish word of the day, getting a lot of priceless (laughs) looks as I incorporate them into common day speech at work. (laughs) I want to hear them pronounce the word. I I want to see her say, man, my boss is a total schlemiel. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's probably not that. It's probably the good stuff. I'm just trying to think of all the good stuff we've done with uh, yeah, words. we're a bunch of schleps dealing schlock. That's <laughs> us. <laughs> so that was good. And I, there have been a couple other. There was somebody, though, I wanted to bring up um, uh, a person who commented on our YouTube page. And the thing about our YouTube page is I'd like to remind our listeners that they can actually go and subscribe to our YouTube page. And uh, that that would be a great help for us in promoting uh, the, the program, promoting the teaching that we're doing if they go and subscribe. But Somebody, um, I'm trying to see where it is that they commented because it was so nice what they said. And now look at, here we go. Me, no, never mind. I'll have to find it later. But somebody wrote something very nice about the podcast and they were thankful that we, they were able to see us and not just listen. And they were able to see us. And did uh, they tune in the next week? I, 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 oh, here <laughs> it is. Came back? Look, it, it, it popped up. It said, this one person wrote in and said, I'm used to listening to you guys on Spotify. And since I discovered the podcast only a couple of months ago, I've been listening to the episodes in order. I know this went on air more than a year ago, but it's just so much fun to have the visual elements this, instead of just poor the audio. Poor guy. He must not have a life. <laughs> poor lady. Oh, poor lady. She must not have a life. Oh, I hope she continues. She says, Oh, you... we want her to listen, but I feel bad. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> she likes looking at us, you know? Come on. Uh, you guys are... There you go. You're better off looking at the bobbleheads. Better off at the bobbleheads. You guys are great, and the Lord has been using FOI to equip me as a Christian to my own ministry. I'm thankful for your lives and for this channel. May God bless this ministry greatly. And we're thankful for you. We are. Aren't we? Aren't we? A hundred percent. So text us, 424-444-1948. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions, comments, concerns, we're going to send the concerns right over to Steve. Well, wait a minute, Chris. (laughs) You know, we've been asking, and we're still in the process, or if you're Canada and a listener— process uh we've asked our listeners if they uh text us we have our cups we got our mugs we have our mugs on a mug uh but we we want to get a count once we get our website up and running and the place for them to uh, donate and all that kind of stuff but we've been asking, would they, how many would they want? And we've had a few oh, people. Oh, we've had people, I want four, I want three, I well, want one, at, wanna I want ask, four. We want to ask again this week. So I know, if they you keep ha- texting, and I keep saying, we'll send you a link soon. We will send you a link soon. And actually, the more texts we get, the better we can go to the department that is necessary to make this stuff work. Oh, and guilt and them? Say, yeah, a little guilt never A little Jewish hurt. guilt? Say, Look, we're in place. We got everything. We got the cup. We got. We, I went How, to shipping. I got the box to be able to put it in. Now, How would your mother say? We've got the stuff. We've got the box. Okay, come on. Let's get this thing going. That's yella, right. Yella. Yella. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's well. Tell, you got to explain that, Roxanne. What's yella? Some people are thinking of of a dog. Yeah, yella, old yeller. Yella. Old yeller. What's yella? It was the first word I learned in Hebrew or. Arabic. Arabic. But it's a very practical very word. Yeah. yeah. It means let's go. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Hurry up. Get her done. Yeah. Get her done. Get her, Get her done. That's right. Yella. They, I know I like is. her to translate Hebrew books. Get her done. Get her done. Get her done. Here's right. your sign. Shalom, y'all. Shalom, y'all. All right. So, Steve, uh, we promised people that we'd be looking 
at the state of the Bible. Yes. Because uh, we, have a, we, we have a report that came out from the American Bible Society on the state of the Bible. You've got a serious report here in your hands. I do. I printed it out. If you're, if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, wherever, I mean, good it night. Makes me look smart. I, I'm telling you. Are you going to read the whole thing? Uh, no, 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 People no, People are no, turning no. off the channel uh, right no, now. No, no. You know, this is interesting. If you're interested in uh, what Americans do with the Bible, just... The Bible in America, every year, the American Bible Society puts out a study uh, and gives us, you know, the president gives a state of the union. Yeah. Well, this is the state of the Bible. 2023. 2023. And so you could go online. You're going to send a link. uh, I've already got it in our show notes. It's already in the show notes. Uh, and let me tell you some of the things that I gleaned. It's a potpourri, right? Okay, here we so, go. Potpourri. Every time you say potpourri now, my mind goes to that airplane uh, with the lady on the airplane. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> it's not I, her fault. I cannot, it's not her fault. <laughs> it's not her fault. I just think somebody get her some potpourri. Uh, you know? <laughs> <Or> potpourri. <laughs> potpourri. <laughs> it's going off the rails, uh, people. Okay. The state of the art. Uh, by the state of the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. State of the Bible. Chris, in America, according to this study, 77% of Americans own a Bible. Not 100%. 77% have access to a Bible. Now, what, what does that mean? Do, do they read it? No, they divide it up into uh, three different groups. Those that are engaged, those that are moderately engaged, and those who are disengaged. Let me tell you what happened. The engaged group are people who read the Bible. This is engaged, mind you. They read the Bible, Roxanne. Guess how many times a year was the minimum to be engaged? High holiday. Let's see. No, three is, times. Oh, you're, it's three to four times. I say three Easter, or four times or what? A year. A year. <laughs> that's and engaged. You get considered, and they said in the study, we're doing this to try to be as liberal as possible. Oh. So, so they, they consider you engaged in the Bible if you read it a minimum of three to four times. You're disengaged if you don't, and you're moderately engaged if it's one to three. They consider that moderate. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Now, Here's the deal. Do they define what it means to sit down and read? Like, are we sitting down and reading a chapter? Or are we sitting it's down? It's a survey, Chris. And look, I mean, as I pr- look, they have charts. I know wow. they do. It's, it's all, you, we want people to read the study. I'm just going to highlight, or potpourri, uh, of <laughs> what they said. So in one year's time, it went down. The disengaged went up. It went up. There are only there are only uh, about thirty nine percent of Americans who are engaged in the Bible. Last year, twenty twenty two, there were about fifty percent. Wow! Now it's thirty nine percent. What happened to twenty percent? That's amazing. That that means that people. And by the way, didn't Roxanne? Haven't you sensed in our culture that people are moving away from the scriptures? Absolutely. Haven't you? I mean, we yeah. don't. But we didn't know numbers. They're supplying the American Bible Society is giving you actual numbers, and they're they're saying, "Look, you're engaged three to four times. We just need you to do it three times." But it, so 2022, you were engaged. 50 percent of Americans were engaged. Now it's 39 percent, and so. But there's an interesting statistic: 71 percent of Americans would like to know more about the Bible. And Jesus. I see mm. this is the stuff this that I love. This is so amazing. This to mm. me is so encouraging. And it is to them too. What they write about is this is what we have to concentrate on. You know, there was a movie where uh it was Matrix called The Matrix. Oh yeah. Ooh, my okay. favorite movie. Okay. The Matrix, <laughs> is really? you you load up. Remember when they said load up, they stick something in the back of your oh, head. That's right. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden you could be whatever you need to be. You could fly a, a plane. Okay. Well, I look, as soon as I read, remember, 77% have a Bible, 39% are engaged, but 71% want to know. They, if, In other words, if there was a matrix and it had Bible and Jesus, they, they load me up. Yep. Look, they don't want to read. They don't want to talk to anybody. They just want to know. And so to me, that's encouraging. That's why we have outreaches like the Jew and the Gentile podcast and like equip people could sign up 
And if they want, they could learn about things without having to open up. The, we want them to, but it's a maybe a step for them to help them. But why they, do why do you think it is that people like they seventy seven seventy seven have one, a Bible? Oh, what's the percentage? Seventy one percent want to know more about the Bible and Jesus, but they're not necessarily engaged that that well that's what's because it's amazing because it's right there like if they want to engage i think there's so many opportunities to engage but it's interesting to me that you know i wonder what they're waiting for well let's let's do an uh an an analogy here how many people want to be want to have men want a 32 inch waist and all right you you win and how (laughs) how many women want to lose x number of pounds and then they see the cookies and they say, yes, I do, but forget about it. That's the way it, we live in that kind of culture. Yeah. I think we need to talk about mm-hmm. that. Yes, I. if somebody could give it to me without me doing anything, that's what I want. I think there's a difference between saying I want to versus really wanting to. Yeah, this makes me want to make uh, Facebook reels or YouTube shorts mm-hmm. where we just read a, a passage, like read one one uh, verse and then let people watch it and boom. Cause that's what, you know, it's funny cause people, same thing with working out, you know, we should work out, but sorry, I'm too busy scrolling through social media right now. <laughs> it's, it, it's our culture. I, so w- knowing that I think those of us who are devoted to Christ, those of us who are know what, that the gospel has to go out. I, th- I think that's what the early church did. They, they, they're out there. They, they know there's people out there. And they know that there's going to be people out there who don't want to hear, but there are always people who want to hear. My father was in sales, and I used to ask him every time he got home, did you did you sell anything? And so it, some days he would say yes, some days he'd say no. It's Can you imagine being a salesman? That's what my father did. And I used to say, but Dad, they're going to say no. How many times can you hear no? He said, well, I don't care how many times, how many people say no. I'm interested in the people that say yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's a, a different way than I was thinking. Yep. All I, I, why go out? They're going to all say no. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs the yeah. aggravation? <laughs> They're all going to say no. I'm not going out. That's not my pre- dad. Predestination that, makes it easy. <laughs> not my dad. My, da- my dad right. said, oh, no, there's somebody out there, and I want to meet them. Mm-hmm. And. That's the way that that's what this study for for me as as just gleaning a couple of things. The main thing for me is that 32 percent between the 39 and the 71, the 32 percent who say, you know, I I really do want to know. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily motivated at this point, but 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 we have the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, who can he finds those people and matches us up. We Mm -hmm. all have stories, testimonies. Uh, uh, and so there are people out there. We know statistically, mm. ask your husband, statistically, <laughs> there are people out there who want to know. Yeah. And we got to find them. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, um, Jim Showers had brought up this um, report that had talked about, uh, it was depressing, you know, the fact uh, the, the large number of young Christian adults who are, um, I don't want to say they're turning their back on Israel, but they're. They're not, they don't consider themselves supporters of Israel. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like, at that point, it had dropped a bit. And I think it was like 30% said they supported Israel as young adults. And then like the other 23 or 24%, you know, uh, 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 supported the Palestinian people. But then it said... There's a whole group of young people are going, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they're saying, it literally says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And it's everywhere in between the 33... We want those people. That's exactly right. And I, you know, I look at those things. I'm like your, I'm like your dad. Like, I can, I understand. Like, I, I was trying to think when I was 18 or 19 or 20, I was going to the Institute of Jewish Studies. But even then I'm thinking, oh, let's see how life pans out, you know? Um <laughs> You're not thinking like that when you're young. It, so there's so much opportunity for teaching and and sharing the good news. And there's 71% of people that are saying, I'm interested. And I think it's a, it actually puts the burden on us as Christians to find ways to engage people with God's word because they want to be engaged with it. But like you said, sometimes you got to, what's the word? You know, people don't like to go work out, but sometimes people like a coach. 
They like someone to help them through the process. I, you know what? I, when I go work out, I use an app. And the app tells me what to do. Go here. Do this. Go over here. Do that. Because on my own, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. But I have a little digital coach that walks me through the gym. And I feel good when I leave. It, it actually is a motivating app. What about uh, the same for us as Christians in motivating people to get involved in well, God's well, Word? Well, Chris, we have an example that happened today. A number of weeks ago... I'm talking until last year on our podcast, we had a young man who is on his way literally to Israel with Bruce Scott and our Origins team. No, he was on his way to Encounter. Oh, okay, sorry, Encounter. So he was on his way up to uh, New New York York. Mm -hmm. and then Philadelphia, and we asked him to be our guest, just like we asked Roxanne to be our guest. And he didn't know, it's not like he didn't know anything, It's, but he didn't know a lot about the Jewish people, and he went on Encounter. And he has since connected with our staff. He's on the West Coast. And Chris, we just talked to him about what? About coming on full-time with he, Friends of Israel. We we just talked to him about the possibility. And mm-hmm. less than a, two years ago, he didn't know from nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now he does. because. And it's not like we persuaded him. We didn't. God did. But we had something for him to get experience in, to to walk the streets of New York, n- not get our people in his head, get the people into his heart. Yeah. And so you walk the streets of New York, you eat a corned beef sandwich, you smell <laughs> the aromas, potpourri, <laughs> a good aromas. You yeah. go to you go to you go to a synagogue down in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You meet the people who are worshiping on Shabbat. That those are the people that they're talking about. That are. Uh, that that need to they want to know, but they might not even know how. In fact, interesting, they ask the question to people my age, baby boomers: What is preventing you from reading the Bible? For the number one answer for millennials, time. Yeah, of course. We don't ha- we don't have the time. I don't have the time. I got other things to do. All right. So then they ask your generation, and then your generation's answer wasn't the same thing. You know, you know what your generation? Wait, I'm with? a millennial. Yeah, they ask millennials oh. the number one answer why millennials don't in this. Wait, study, you just said millennials said don't. Oh, read I'm the sorry, bo- boomers. Oh, boomers. boomers. Sorry, boomers don't have the time. My age. Can I tell you? Wait, can I say something really quick? You know, my kids tell me funny things that they learn, like words they learn that are new to me. I don't know them. And you know what my kids say to me if I do something that's kind of old? Uh-oh, what did I do? No, well, not you, but oh. you know what they, they they call me, which I'm not, though. This is how I am perceived. They go, oh, Dad, you're such a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> Boomers are like the greatest generation. Yeah. You guys are like... No, no, no. My, yeah. my parents' age is the greatest no, no, generation. No, no, I'm saying you're at that age now. Oh, that's right, yeah. Where they're going, oh, that guy's such a boomer. Well, which means you're just... Oh, you're old. You're, you're old. old. <laughs> yeah. You're, you've seen the light. You're not tight. You're not tight. And skin. just so they know, if they ever listen, if you ever punish them and make them listen, Here, I'll give I you your up. money. That's I right. I'll up. give your money Look, back. Right? No, 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 no. I'm paying up. That's I'm right. actually creating a bank because we call them the four horses no, of the apocalypse. Oh, four more bucks. That, well, I want you to hold that money up and say, hey, look what this boomer's giving you right now. Look, look, look at that. That's, that's right. right. Look that's at that right. boomer. The mover. The four horses. Oh, yeah, I think I don't have a bank anymore. You're okay. Okay. So the number one answer of millennials was, we don't know where to begin. We don't know how. Mm. That think about that. That's huge. So my age group said we don't have the time. They know they know what's mm-hmm. involved, mm-hmm. but we just say forget it. I don't have the time. Your generation says, "Oh, time's not the problem." We're just like you reacted. Look at that hundred and twenty-five page thing. <laughs> uh, how could you go down? That's you're all freaking out. That's they say. I don't know how to start, Chris. If if we can get not not just us the American Bible Society any evangelical group that's churches that's what they want to do give us a chance yeah. we'll show you we can help you that's why church programs they have VBS they take little bites here and there they, we have a wana we have uh, uh, women's studies young married couples all kinds of different things that try to meet people where they are with the word of God so that we can help you uh, navigate how to begin. 100%. Because it, do you know what happened to me? What happened to you, Roxanne, when you were introduced to the Bible? Where'd you start reading? What did you do? Uh, so I, I, 
I, I was saved when I was six years old. Okay, so you were raised in a church. Mm -hmm. And when you first started to read on your own, where did you start? Uh, uh, Matthew. Okay, mm. very not uncommon. You started mm -hmm. in the New Testament, yes. which is great. Chris, what about you? I, of same thing. I remember my first time sitting down, and I, it, it kind of pierced me, and I remember it was First John. Okay, that, that, but you know that there's but something for me. Oh, it that's was true. Genesis. Oh, oh that's of true. course. I, I remember. I was. I had my Bible safe. The Word of God is holy and pure. I had a white leather Bible with gold, gold, gold around, and I didn't want that messed up in any way. And unbeknownst to me, three weeks before I went to California on a trip. Out of the blue in my head, that, that's the way I'd explain it. Hey, you know, you got time. You're not working right now. You just graduated. You're leaving in three weeks. I pulled out that Bible. Where do you begin? Genesis. Yeah. I started to read. And so when I went to California and I was first witnessed by my sister, she said, oh, you know the Bible that we got from synagogue? And I said, yeah, I started to read it three weeks ago. Amazing. And I had not. So... We want to show people, you could start in Genesis if you want. You could start in Matthew or 1 John. Uh, you got to start yeah. <laughs> somewhere. But you know, though, uh, your experience is probably different because I grew up in the church as well. Mm -hmm. And you grew up in the synagogue, which is still, though, an Orthodox synagogue. So they still had a high value of the Bible. High value. You know, it's we're, we're, there's a generation of millennials that are my age. And it's funny because I'm on that I'm on that old end of millennial. There is a my other youngest sister is a millennial, and she's a completely different, you know, there's a big spectrum of millennials. Um, but, you know, there's, I, I I do think that there's a generation of people that were not raised to think uh, that the uh, Bible was important. They don't know what to do. They literally have no idea how to begin, where to start, who, what to understand. Um, we've we've kind of, you know, in the past, you, you would write, people, authors would write books mm -hmm. and use biblical characters because they assumed you knew exactly who that person was, you know, um, uh, the, the, that that book about the whale. What was that? Hey, this isn't good. Jonah? Uh, no, no, no. The book about the... The, the white whale? The, no, the big, yeah, the big whale. Moby Dick. Moby, Moby Dick. Dick. Yeah, Moby. And it starts off with the with the character Ishmael. Mm. But you have to know who Ishmael, Ishmael is. is. There's so much Western literature that is based around the... But today, our culture, they don't know these stories. And so we're, we've emptied out culture. So now what happens is... Not only are you not getting the Bible stories from secondary teaching, now there's nothing. You're reading an ancient book and they have no idea where to start. But I do want to say this. Somebody texted us because they're listening online uh, online right now. Um, and uh, uh, it's who is our friend? Oh, Karen Sanborn from Redding, California says this. Yes, a short YouTube video of scripture being read would be great. And she said, boomers don't have any time. Oy vey. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> That's great. Uh, what an encouragement that is. But it, it, it is interesting. Uh, for instance, in the time that we live, uh, we have chapel here at Friends of Israel. One of the things I did during when we had a chapel is I found, you remember, the I think it's called the Bible Project. I can't remember. Where you... Hit the YouTube thing, and he'll do a whole book in the Bible while he draws. It's oh, fantastic, yeah. the Bible yep. project. That, yep. Those are the kinds of gifts that the church has, and they use creativity. You could be a person who knows nothing, and you say, well, how do I figure out what this book is about? And in eight minutes, mm -hmm. you have a picture. You could print it out. Chris, I printed them out. Mm -hmm. I I That's love fantastic. the way it is, and it's oh, all of a sudden, bada bing, bada boom, you got the whole book, the thesis, the theme, the this, the that, it's amazing. You know, one of the most popular religious podcasts, last year at least, I don't know what it is, this, uh, if, it, if it's the same this year, is a Catholic priest who just started reading the Bible, mm -hmm. and he would read it and give a little commentary, and then that was it, and it became... The, like the biggest podcast for, I, I don't know if it went, the, I know it was like one of the biggest in the spiritual and religious can, category. I don't know if it went beyond that, but still everybody was talking about him and they'd listen. And all he did was, was just read, read the, the Bible. Well, it's sharper. It's alive. Sharper than any double-edged sword pierces to the very marrow of our being. Isn't mm. it? Yeah. The word of God is not just a book. It's not, it's alive. But again, we know from the from the uh, survey that people don't know that. That's right. They but they wished. 
you, you could use that word. I wish I knew more about it. Well, you know that should become so a that's mission our challenge. Well, that should become a mission of friends of of uh, of the um, FOI equip of the Jew and Gentile podcast is to keep in mind our seventy one percent of friends who uh, want to engage with the scriptures, but they don't know how, and they and they want to know how, and we can we can um, we can help them through this process. So it just might be something that we need to sit down and begin to think about. You know, keeping in mind not just our very well read. Bible readers uh, who are our listeners, but also those who at the same time um, are going, where do I start? You know, sometimes I I think even when I am teaching from the pulpit, I think even as I'm speaking, I'm going, I wonder how many people know what I'm saying right now, because I'm assuming they know what I'm saying. But there's probably a lot of people out there that are going, what's this guy talking, 70 weeks of Daniel? Where is Daniel? You know, that kind of Honestly, we need to keep that in mind. It's very important. Yeah, it is very 101. Important. So anyway, state of the Bible. That's great. Steve, we don't have much time, but I'd like to get to some of these things that you have here, because you have a very important document. I do hand. have a document. You know, Chris, I can't tell you how long ago it was when uh, your dad went to be with the Lord. How long ago was that? That was 2012, so almost okay. 12 years coming okay. up. Mm-hmm. 2012, and of course, you were younger. You were you were a young younger guy. Mm-hmm. For me, my dad was 2008. Um and in Judaism, uh, when the person dies, uh, they go through stages uh, of, of mourning. It's it's an interesting thing. First, you have the seven days of Shiva, and those are days that intense mourning. The rabbis say you should be weeping. You should be remembering their lives. It's You dress. They rip your garment uh, mm-hmm. as a sign of mourning, just out of the Older Testament text as Whenever they heard of something so horrible, they mm-hmm. they ripped their garments open, and so for seven days, people visit you, uh, and they they talk about the loved one, and there's sit weeping. Shiva. You sit shiva for seven days. Mm-hmm. After that, it's a thirty day uh, thing. Uh, you you go back to work, you start your life again, but you can't have happy music. If you read the Bible, you can only read sad books. You're still mourning, but you've passed the the seven day morning stage. And then there's the year anniversary, the year anniversary of the death. Uh, so you've buried the person within 24 hours uh, that you go to the gravesite and Judaism, Orthodox Judaism teaches burial. I know people are getting cremated and some Orthodox are too, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. it's still burial. So then a year later, you go back to the place where the person was buried. And the family goes, and it's called an unveiling. That the the stone that you had of that person, their birth, their death, anything you write on there has is covered with a cloth. And all, you, all year long, all, all you, you will not see that stone uh, until the year anniversary. Wow. No matter when you buy it, so you go there, and it's the unveiling, and it's a a remembrance of that person. And the psychological aspect is, in Judaism, the idea is we mourn. We, we're not ashamed to mourn. It's a loss. This person is dead. We miss them. We, we yearn for them. And the seven days and the 30 days and then the year. And then the rabbis say, after that, of course you'll remember them, but enough already. You live. It, it's, <laughs> it's you live. I think that is such a great Thing. Uh, what was your line? Enough already. Enough already. Enough already. <laughs> you're done. Move on. That's right. You're you're done. But you're not done because every year, the in my case, when my father passed away, there was a funeral home that managed it, and in Judaism, they keep that they keep the records of all of them, and all their family get a remembrance letter that coming up is the anniversary of the death of your father, and mm. we light a candle. Mm. Jew- Jewish people will light a candle. It's called a Yertzeit candle, and it rem- you remember that person. You, It's a 24-hour candle. Now, of course, they use electricity. Who knows? They might have an app for it. I don't even know. <laughs> Just get your but, phone out. But you're, you, you buy a candle. There's, you, there's special candles you can buy, and you light it. And your kids are going to say, oh, what's the candle? Oh, that's when... So and so passed away, and we remember them. There's the idea of remembering. You're not mourning anymore. You're remembering. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just now for your dad. I'm Can sure, I see that? I'm sure. For your dad, I think it's it's your family, your mom, your sisters. Uh, you remember that person, but there's no 
somebody from a religious group who's saying, hey, you better remember. In Judaism, there is, mm -hmm. uh, and we remember them. And in the synagogue, there's the community. Uh, for So, like, we're going to be talking about Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, everybody in the synagogue who has a loved one who passed away, they all stand up together and they recite what's called Yisker, which is a a, a, a prayer a lit, of liturgy over the dead. That is literally to remember. To remember. The, the in fact, the the person your the person's name when you say this liturgy, the person's name isn't even in the liturgy. It's if you translate it. It's a praise to God, yeah. God, the Creator of the universe, the One who we love, the uh, who who was, is, all, all those things. It's a it's a praise. I'll read. It says, "Eternal God, as I kindle this yearsite candle on the anniversary of the death of my beloved Nathan Herzig, the memory of his life passes before me. I reverently call the moments we shared together. Time cannot efface the measure of his memories. I shall never be grateful for the sacrifice made in my behalf." With affection and understanding, he stood by my side to guide and encourage me when I needed help. He taught me to love thee, O God, and to keep thy commandment. And then it says, Yizker dates, the remembrance dates, mm -hmm. which is Yom Kippur, um, Passover, Shavuot, and Shmini Azaret. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that one means. That's new to me. What? Last one. Shimona Esrei. It's the uh, right after, uh, I forgot on the calendar exactly when it is. but It's after Yom Kippur. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yep. And so I thought that would be helpful for our listeners. And it comes in the mail like it this. It comes in the mail. Now, they're trying to get me. Just They reminded me of Friends of Israel. <laughs> Give it to me example. <laughs> we want people who are on our mailing list to get on our email list. Yeah. And I'm not on their email list. So what do they say? Please return this portion for a change of address. We In big letters. We want your email address. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to do it. I'm going to send it we to We want to send Because you they don't want to spend the postage. The, I don't blame them. They want a digital they, year Everybody's yep. digital. That's, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to digital. Everything's digital. But you're such a boomer. You're such, such a boomer. Why am I a boomer? You should only know such boomers. <laughs> All right, boomer. Uh, we, we got some news to talk about here. Yes, we do. You have some. You we, found some interesting stuff. We've been texting back. First, you know what? I want to start with this one, Steve, because I'd like to give. Which a one are you going? Uh, to? The no camels one. I'd okay. Like, I'd like to give a shout out to our um, to Shelby who um, serves with us on um, FOI Equip. If you are a follower of our FOI Equip, she was face, an intern with us too. She was an intern last, last year, year, and through her internship, she got involved with our social media page, FOI Equip Facebook page. So if you enjoy our FOI Equip Facebook page, or maybe you didn't know we had a Facebook page, you can go and like us now at, um, for our FOI Equip. And she's the one who goes and finds all the fantastic news that we have and shares ways people can get involved. And so, Shelby, thank you so much. She sent this to us. Israel, Japan signed innovation deal to boost $3 billion trade ties. Israel and Japan are advancing their innovation cooperation as they drive to expand their $3.3 billion commercial relationship. Israeli Economy Minister Nir Berkat met this week in Tel Aviv with his Japanese counterpart, Nashi... Oh boy, Nashutoshi Nishimura. You're if, such I a better, boomer. I know. I'm such. He'd <laughs> be better if he had an Israeli name. No, do, we, we we have Roxanne here who speaks like four languages. Could you? Do you do Japanese? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say something. To, uh, but he says to sign an agreement formalizing a bilateral understanding of economic That's in, not, innovation Nishimura. ties. That's easy, Nishimura. Nishimura. Yeah, you had time to think about Nishimura. it. Nishimura. I was on the spot. Nishimura. <laughs> but Chris, think about this. Just in terms of the different races that there are, what a combo. An Israeli and a Japanese person. Boom. You mm -hmm. are talking about two of the outstanding cultures that are innovative. You have one who dreams big dreams, the Jewish people. And don't spend generally a lot of time on details and the Japanese who know how to do it. Oh, yeah. You put them together. What do they say? 3.3 billion? I think that's underestimated. <laughs> well, I'd also like to highlight Nir Berkat, Israeli economy minister. Nir is on the in the Knesset in the Likud party, which is Benjamin Netanyahu's party. Now, if you talk to people, remember, Israel is still a pretty conservative moderate right-leaning country. Um, and so a lot of people are concerned about Netanyahu's government being a little too far right in the religious component. 
And so um, near Burkat, though, he was the mayor of Jerusalem, and he gets a lot of attention for for potentially being the next prime minister once Netanyahu moves off the scene. He's still in the same party as Netanyahu, and he has a very big track record for the way that he managed Jerusalem for many years. And actually, the last time we were in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, Jim and I and the group were at um, uh, the Pool of uh, uh, Siloam, 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 and there was Nir Burkat checking it out, and Jim had a chance to chat with yeah. Nir. So yeah. now Nir, Nir's with Jim, and now Nir's with Yashi, Yashu Toshi. So there you go. <laughs> you, you never know. Anyway, I thought that was a great, uh, that was a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you, Shelby. That's right. The other comes actually from the uh, New York Times. Oh, this is a big one. Yiddish is having a moment. Now, you found this. You found this and you sent this to me, but you found it through. I found it through a third party. Yeah. And the third party. Which was once known as Twitter. (laughs) Well, actually, uh, well, that's not entirely true. I actually found it through. through a gal who works here at Friends of Israel. And Brooke Goldstein is a friend of Friends of Israel. We had Brooke Goldstein at one of our Honor Israel nights mm-hmm. a number of years ago. She's a lawyer, a Canadian, lives in New York, and has started her own group. Lawfare. Lawfare, Lawfare practice, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Brooke Goldstein found the article. Martha found it and sent it to me, and then we found it in the in the New York Times. There's a lot of finding going yeah, on. There's there. a lot of finding, and it's important to us because we've been talking a lot about Yiddish, and it's interesting the way this writer, uh, who is uh, Ian Stavens, uh, writes about it because Yiddish. How did he word what Yiddish is? Let me uh, let me. In contrast. Yiddish represents exile, a longing for home. It was the backbone of the Jewish labor movement in the United States. And the feminist Emma Goldman championed women's equality and free love in Yiddish. Uh, And so they talked about, you know, this was the language of the worker, the middle class, the the one who was outside of Jerusalem, uh, out of Israel, the diaspora. Hebrew, on the other hand... Hebrew, which officially became the national language of the state of Israel in 1948, is spoken about 9 million people around the world, uh, symbolizes the far-right Israeli militarism. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? You just say, what is... Well, and listen to how, you know, again, the article is not long. No. But it's called Yiddish is Having a Moment, and Yiddish is Having a Moment. Look, we do a Yiddish word of the day. We love Yiddish. But it talks about some of the obstacles that Yiddish has had over the years. Of course, one being the Holocaust and um, and uh, the Enlightenment and, of course, uh, secularism. Uh, all these things played a role with Yiddish kind of losing its influence. Um, but listen to what it says. It, it, it titles it like this. Another enemy of Yiddish was Zionism. In the late 19th wow. century, as a as the hope for a Jewish state found its ground, it was portrayed as jargon spoken by the diaspora, the language of homelessness, without a true national voice. To combat this deficit, Hebrew needed to be revived. Soon the myth sprung of the Hebrew pioneer in sharp contrast with the large-nosed hunchback Jew that Zionists themselves vilified. And that's when he said Hebrew, which officially became the national language of the state of Israel in 1948, is spoken about 9 million people around the world. For some, the language symbolizes far-right Israeli militarism. So he's actually saying not even Hebrew, but Zionism was an enemy of Yiddish, which, uh, you know— to me, it's just so backwards. Because the enemy of Yiddish were the Nazis. Mm-hmm. They That's- wiped out three million Polish people. Uh, three of the six million people were Polish people, uh, and Yiddish was a language of Eastern Europe. Exactly. So the enemy of Yiddish was the guns of the Nazis. And you know, you can't. Ha- the whole point, you know, it, it's just another good lesson for us to do a a um, a, a spot on uh, um, Ben Yehuda. What's his name again? Ay, 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 my my brain. Ben Yehuda. Yeah, Ben Yehuda. Yeah. But what's his first name? I don't know. Uh, I always call him Ben Yehuda. <laughs> no, but he has a first But anyway, Ben Yehuda, who resurrected the Hebrew language, he probably knew Yiddish. He came from that area. Wait a minute. We have Eliezer. Right? Eliezer. Eliezer. I know everybody. I can just see Tom Gagan right now going, Eliezer, guys. Eliezer. Eliezer. 
Eliezer Ben Yehuda. There he is. There he is. He ben is Yehuda. The, he is the one who resurrected the Hebrew language. And the reason he wanted to Look do it. Look at how scholarly he looks, that He was Chris. a very scholarly man. Yeah, he was man. a very scholarly man. But the point for him resurrecting Hebrew was not to make it a militaristic uh, um, endeavor, uh, right-wing endeavor. The man created or revived Hebrew because he knew the Jewish people needed a national mm-hmm. language. And yeah. he didn't want them speaking German. And he didn't want Jewish people coming back to the land speaking English or French, they needed a language, and so they decide. He decided, I'm going to resurrect. He did it. He it did. It was the language of the people then. Mm-hmm. It's the language of the people now in the land. So I I agree with you. It is not the enemy of Zionism. Oh, that's crazy. Now, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to kind of booby trap the whole time we're here. But this is a great time. Uh, I know you didn't get to see it, but Roxanne, you got to see Golda. Yes. And Golda was a person who came out of Eastern Europe. Poland. Uh, out of Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, I, I'm sure, heard Yiddish. She, Her family came to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. She was a school teacher. And she moved back to Israel. Part of that group of people who wanted the land, the people, to come together, a mm-hmm. safe haven for the Jewish people. And that movie, Golda, uh, actually was just about a 21-day, three-week part of her life while she was going through cancer treatment, the Yom Kippur War happened. Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. How did Golda affect you? There was one scene, not, there was one scene that was really impactful to me. It was the scene where um, she walks into the room and nobody stands up to, to greet her or to honor her as she walks in. And she's the prime minister. And she's the prime minister, but she brushed it off because she knew there was a bigger picture. There was mm. more important things. Mm. And she sat down. And not only that, she encouraged the people around her. And she she was she never belittled their ideas, but she she challenged them to consider things from a different perspective. That's what I got. Um, but what really threw me at, like that I loved so much is when she was talking to um, the president on the phone. And he was telling her, please stand down, stand down. And she told her, she shared her testimony about how she would hide in the basement. Her father would hide her in the basement. And she, she said, I'm not that child anymore. Mm. And she hung up on him. And I would say, in, in reference to the New York Times article, that that's maybe what they think. Be, that's the reason for Hebrew it is resurrected. And enough already. Mm-hmm. Yep. We, we took it on the chin. If we're going down and... And it looked like they were. There was a point in the war, uh, the Yom Kippur War, where it looked very bleak mm-hmm. for the Jewish people. And they didn't, they weren't proactive the way they were in the 67 war because America put pressure on them. But she, this is survival. And the the stiff upper lip, as you would. In fact, in the movie, they portrayed Diane, who is a, a general, a war hero. Moshe. Moshe, Moshe. Diane. Who he took it hard, mm-hmm. uh, the great defeat that was taking place. It was taking place in real time. They were hearing people mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. Whole platoons were wiped out, explosions. He was up on a helicopter and he watched a whole battle wipe out that whole group of Israelis. You got Moshe staring right at me we right do. here, huh? Is that him right there? There he is. Bada bing, bada there he is. There's with Moshe. His, with his one eye and staring it at me. Was, it was, at least in the movie, the way they portrayed it, it was Golda. Who uh, said, go go into your house, mm-hmm. wash your face, and come back here. I need you. I need mm. you. I need you. And they were saying that all in Hebrew, by the way. Mm-hmm. And not not in the movie, but keep in mind, that's the language. That's the that's the uh the power, if you will. And so I would be the first to admit that Hebrew is the language of the Jewish people. Yiddish was made it possible, the bridge language, to unite the people in the diaspora until God would mo- begin yeah, to move. Yiddish them. is basically Hebrew looking. We love yeah, with but, Hebrew looking with German, German and but, all that. But Hebrew Slavic and Zionism English. is a fact. But don't make Zionism this far right. They're a liberal Hebrew speaker. It's not the enemy. Zionism is not the enemy no, of Yiddish. That's right. All right, well, Steve, right. actually, we're almost out of time. So we okay. got to do the Yiddish word, though. So we'll come back to this news next week. Okay. But here we go Yiddish word, everybody. Steve, I'm going to let you do the Yiddish word. The Yiddish word for the day is Yurtzai. Yurtzai. We already said it. Year time. Year time. 
time. Okay. That's what your site means. Now, I do have an official. Let oh, me, you got an official. I me? Got, I'm, what am I, chopped liver? No, you're a boomer. I got nothing. You're a boomer. Ah, don't be a boomer. What's it mean? <laughs> your site, an annual ritual that encourages mourners. That's an oxymoron. Encourages mourners to remember, honor, and commemorate a loved one. Aww. That's right. Year, and, what is it again? Your site. No, it's, but what's the actual year what? Y- year time. Time. It's, year, a, it's a anniversary. Year time. It's the time of year. Not That's, your time. No. Year, year time. time. All right. Year time. Year site. Steve, thank Roxanne, you so much. Roxanne, thanks for coming. I do have a question. Okay, what? go ahead. Would we ever consider bringing in Ladino, which is Span- which is the equivalent of Yiddish in German, Ladino and Hebrew and Spanish? Sephardic Jews mm-hmm, use Sephardic. Ladino. That's the bridge language mm-hmm. for them. But since I'm Ashkenazi, what do I got? Oh, I don't we'll got take Sephardic. We'll throat. take you. You want to come back? Talk about Ladino? Well, I'll bring up a word for you. There All you go. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Roxanne, for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. You're fantastic. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week. Just remember to go to foiequip.org, and there you can register for the one and only Jewish Sage. You can register for his class on the Fall Feast of Israel. Hey, text us, 424-444-1948. Let us know if you're interested in getting a, a mug, mug on a mug. Mug on a mug. We got two mugs on a mug here. So be sure to text us at 424-444-1948. Hey, thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you next week.